Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are looking live at Depression. Look, the Vikings were absolutely atrocious yesterday, and there were a lot of reasons for it. But there were reasons that you wouldn't necessarily think about. One of them being shoes. Why that matters, why the, the fact that Ed Donatel's worst performance yesterday had nothing to do with the defense, and how do we quantify what the Vikings did against the Packers, considering most of it was fluky, and why you still cannot call this team fraudulent. And we're going to preview the second part of this show, which is Mock Draft Mondays. That starts here soon, but we still have Vikings football left. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show, managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire, betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website, publisher of Substack Run and Shooter, host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network as well as a member of Climbing the Pocket. Look at that. We are back and ready to go. Dave is testing out a new lighting setup up in the top right corner. I am your host, Tyler, and I have my normal lighting setup with my wonderful dog, Odie, who is ironically on an air mattress. The in-laws left this morning, and I wanted to at least give him some more comfortable. And, hey, he's not biting my feet, so I'm going to take that as a win. Dave, did you have a good new year? Yeah, uh, down here in Texas, they love the fireworks, which drove Merlin crazy. Couldn't get oh, to bed sure. early, so I was up way late because he was barking. But it was okay. It was a crappy weekend for football. But we'll get into that. Oh, whoa, whoa! Look, it was a crappy weekend to be a Vikings fan and watch to be a that Vikings fan. Game. That's what I care about. It was. It was a phenomenal weekend for football. Oh my god! Uh, like, I we're gonna divert here because Saturday's playoff games were two of the best college football games I'd ever seen in my life. Fifty-one forty-five, TCU beats Michigan, and Georgia barely beats Ohio State when they had no business winning forty-two forty-one. Dave, that to me is peak football. I uh, like on the Michigan game was uh, that they did not call. Um, what is it? Targeting in the end of, in the college mm-hmm. on that play, which should have been to me targeting at minimum spearing back in the day. Anytime you lowered your crown, um, of the helmet and hit which crown of your helmet, top of the helmet, that was spearing and an automatic foul. Uh, did Michigan get screwed over because of that, or was their loss genuine? I'd say that you could argue that they were screwed over what the officials ended up deciding. Cause in real time, I'm like, Oh my gosh, is that targeting? Did he really target this guy considering it's fourth down and they're going to stop him like 10 yards shy of the first down. But what they determined was even though he technically lowered his head, he didn't actually initiate contact with the crown of his helmet. He initiated it with the face mask. So if you take a look, like he hit him like right here. So like right at, at the base of the neck, where it meets the shoulders. That's where he ended up hitting the guy, and it hit him with the face mask. Now, uh, I it saw did him 100%, duck his head and hit right No, here. well, hold on, hold on. It, he 100% ducked his head, but you still have to initiate contact with the crown of your helmet. He did not do that, and I think that's the big thing here, Dave. It's not. It's not. We're getting into semantics. Plus, you don't want to 
completely shift the game. 25 seconds left in the college football playoff. Do you really want to make that call? Well, I can understand why they didn't. But to me, the clip I saw, it looked like a penalty and should have been called. Just because it's 25 seconds left in the game and the team can win and all that stuff, it was the player did the wrong thing. You don't lead that way anymore. That will get you injured. Even back in my day, when they taught us to lead, bull our neck and hit with a face mask, they did teach us not to bend the head over and lead with the crowd. You will cause injury to yourself as well as the opposing player. That's the, the clip I saw. I'll have to find it and send it to you and let you view it from my eyes as to why I saw it that way. But I just, yeah, both those games were close. They were nail biters. They were fantastic. I was more referring to yesterday and that debacle across the border. Yeah. Look, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, Dave. We got our asses kicked. And the Vikings physically did not show up wanting to play football. And let's get into this first point, because I was furious at the coaching for multiple reasons yesterday. Why in the hell did they not have everybody come out with those seven cleat cleats on? Like, you're talking about a field that one to the naked eye looked atrocious. It looked awful. And you could tell Vikings were slipping. You know who wasn't slipping? Packers. Because they knew what was coming and they knew. Yeah, And you know what? The Vikings should have known too. You know how many players in this team have played in that stadium once a year for most of their careers? You know... Ed Donatel, the former defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, if you remember 4th and 26, that was his defense, coached there for years. You have former Packers on this team, including Zadarius Smith. How in the world does Kevin O'Connell not get these guys to wear this cleat? Because it's for the betterment of the team. You know, I kind of related to, hey, I, like early 2000s NASCAR before Dale Earnhardt Sr. passed away in that tragic accident at Daytona. There was a Hans device, head and neck safety, all right? Um, I, I got the S wrong. I don't really care. But um, <laughs> that device was incredibly uncomfortable for the drivers, but it would have saved his life. They made mm-hmm. it mandatory after that because I think only six or so, so drivers were wearing it at the time of the crash. Right. And it had only been mandatory. Life. I think it was mandatory in Indy prior to that because yep. of how their wrecks. But, yes, when Earnhardt – did it? It was it was made that way, and you get used to it. I'm curious with all the yeah. concussions if the NFL is going to go to not exactly a Hans, but some sort of uh, device that hooks up and absorbs helps absorb a hit, slows it down so you don't get the massive G force of the brain slamming against the skull. But so they ha- kind of have something that they're testing. Um, I don't really know how it works, but if you see a player that almost looks like he has a sweatband around his neck, that's something that they're using to try and elim- try and help reduce concussions. I, I don't know how it works. I don't know the science, and I'm not going to pretend to. But it's something that they're utilizing to try and make that happen. And I like that they're trying these things, but I also think when they try these things, they need to be a little more aggressive with it 
um, because it, it can really save lives. Like um, I was co- just watching the, I was just watching the Cotton Bowl earlier today. Um, by the way, Tulane upset USC forty six forty five. Got that right in my picks. Very happy about it. But at the end of the game, a USC player like just Steve Atwater, a Tulane receiver. They didn't call it targeting, and it wasn't really targeting, but it was a brutal hit that ended up being helmet to helmet. Both players looked like they sustained concussions. Like any anything you can do to try and remove, excuse me, remove it from the game without making it sarcastable. If you've if you've seen South Park, you understand the reference. Um, I I like it, but safety is good, but you also want functionality. You know what would have been functional on Sunday, Dave? The sl- seven cleat shoe. Right, which Justin is Jeff- pictured oh. over there on the screen. It's a real simple cleat. It works. You can change out the studs to different lengths, usually starting about a half inch, three quarter, one inch cleats to dig in. It is not as go from one extreme to the other. When we played on AstroTurf, we had very much a basketball-style sneaker with a whole bunch of uh, little knobs on it. I mean, just tons of them. And that was great for AstroTurf. When you get to the artificial turf now, it's a more hybrid type. You may even have some straight blade plastic. You don't have steel. Uh, even steel in baseball was eventually out, outlawed for spiking uh, because it causes damage. But you have some straight blades and you have some lugs as they call those on this cleat that mix to give you better traction on the turf surface however this wasn't turf it was grass it was combination grass and what they have in the underlayment which is a sand-based stuff what they use to make it bad they overwatered probably on purpose to make it wet and slippery the only way to defeat that is a good, relatively sparse set of lugs. You don't want to be too close or you ride on top, and you need a minimum, and the minimum most likely is seven. You have the one in the front is closer to your big toe. You have the four along that go along the ball of your foot, and you got the two at the heel. Sometimes there may be a nine where there's four in the back. Um, the minimum is five for lugs, but you want something that can grip and they didn't have it. Now it was highly recommended according to reports. They wanted it all day. They didn't get it until people started switching, but supposedly the staff said you need to wear these and the players are like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go with this. Well, there should have been enough of those old-time players you talked about that had played in Lambeau every single year. Take Zadarius Smith that lived there for years. Um, but, you know, you got Hitman, you've got um, Kendricks. All those guys who played there for years should have known mm. better and said, no, mm-hmm. sorry, guys. Yes, last year we played, and it was in the beginning of the season, and it was nice, and the turf was nice. We're at the end of the season. This is going to be crap. You need to wear this. They also need to carry that over to Chicago this Sunday as well, because Soldier Field grass, as Brian points out, is 
one of the worst, if not the worst, it's probably top two in the league. Yeah, uh, Soldier Field's turf is brutal. Um, you you obviously can talk about Arizona's turf because they, they've had a couple bowl games here, including the Fiesta Bowl in Michigan, D.C. that we talked about. Vegas, uh, when UNLV is in season, they have had some pretty rough patches. Um, just you have to understand where you're going into. And this is one of my concerns with O'Connell. It feels like he is not proactive. He's incredibly reactive. Now, I understand that there are some some things that need to be taken into account here. First time head coach. He does not. He only has one former head coach on his staff, and I believe that is Mike Pettin. When Mike Zimmer took over the job, he understood his limitations and he needed to make sure that he surrounded himself. So he brought in four. He got four former head coaches to be on his staff so he could be better for the team and for himself. O'Connell doesn't have that kind of structure. Yeah. And you know what? I think it got him off to a great start. But then I think Zimmer kind of got a little too power hungry and stopped listening to advice. And that I think that's what caused a lot of his downfall. Um, especially I think it caused a lot of it with North Turner not trusting him and instead trusting Hugh Jackson. But that's a whole nother story. But to kind of overarch the point back to Kevin O'Connell, there's too many times where he is not he, he's not acting to be proactive and to be innovative. He's reacting and sometimes those that those reactions are not great. What why didn't we have a plan for Jefferson just get absolutely mugged by Jair Alexander and have uh, shade coverage over the top. Why That's a great question. Do we, why do we continue to struggle against man coverage? I've said it before in the show. The plan to beat this team is very easy. Very few teams can execute it. You got to play man coverage on the outside. You got to mug them with press. You got to get a good pass rush without blitzing a ton. That's it. You do that, you can stop this offense, and it's been proven. Time and time again, the Packers just did it. The Cowboys did it. They played a little bit more zone than more of a straight man, but that pass rush was so good it didn't even matter because the Vikings actually called a relatively decent game as far as getting guys open. The line couldn't protect, and that became the downfall against the Dallas Cowboys and the Eagles. The Eagles' front four is gnarly. They're nasty. And you know what? They played coverage on the outside, and they were pretty dang good at it. But you could also talk like, oh, they were trying, they were still learning the offense. They were still not comfortable. And it showed, it showed Dave that they weren't comfortable. But all those little things, it adds up to, hey, well, there's a blueprint to beat this team. And I, I got to absolutely bury this. Um, there is a writer, and I will not name him because I don't, I don't want to slander him, but I'm going to absolutely slander his take. Had the Vikings before this game as the 22nd best team in the National Football League. There's calling this team frauds, which I think is completely wrong. They're not frauds. They are taking advantage of situations that they're being put in. That doesn't make them fraudulent. That makes them better than expected, which is fine. You can say they're better than expected. I I think that's 100% fair. The Vikings uh, turnover differential now after this past game is plus two. So you're not even talking a big differential anymore, Dave. You're talking average. At the beginning of the year, it was huge. It was plus eight. It was second in league only to the Philadelphia Eagles, who at the time were plus 15. And I believe that was about week eight, week nine. This team was able to force turnovers and they weren't giving the ball away. 
that's not the case anymore. The luck always comes back, and it's not necessarily regression. It just brings you back to the mean. The Vikings were able to overcome some of it. They were not able to overcome it in this game, and the Packers got off to a 14-3 lead on two pretty fluky plays that are Mm -hmm. unsustainable long-term. It's unsustainable to expect kicker turn touchdowns. The run that Keyshawn Nixon is on is tremendous. Seven straight games of 90-plus kick return yards in this day and age of football is insane. There's so many touchbacks. They're trying to get the ball out of returners' hands when possible. This isn't 1995 when you had your Mel Grays and Eric Metcalfs of the world who were just able to get 30, 40-yard chunks consistently. This is a guy who's been playing out of his mind, and he got a kick return touchdown. The first kick return touchdown for the Packers since against Tampa Bay in 2011, they said on the broadcast, which I don't know if you caught this, Dave. Jim Nance called Washington the Redskins on the that. broadcast. <laughs> and, oh, if there's a video, you got to look at it because it wasn't just that he called them the Redskins. Tony Romo's like <laughs> waiting waiting for somebody to pop in his ear and be like, oops, sorry, I meant the commanders. It was an honest slip of the tongue. He instead, two minutes later, emphasized commanders and it was it was all-time stuff but i kind of overall arcing point is that and the interception return for a touchdown that was one on a batted ball so it was a tip drill interception and it wasn't even hey darnell savage made a great play and jumped a route okay i'm not going to consider that super fluky because that to me is a tape grinder patrick peterson that's how he got those interceptions against uh denver or sorry, against Buffalo. One of them was he was incredibly smart and got back into the play because his receiver stepped out of bounds, so he had that mental savvy. The other one, he knew that they were going to run that in route with Gabe Davis, and he got the game-winning interception that way. That's less fluke. That's more study. You still need some things to happen for it to go your way, but you're not talking about a play where, oh, Hey, you know, remember that interception in the Buffalo game where Kirk Cousins literally threw it to the Buffalo DB because he thought he was Justin Jefferson? That is fluke. That is luck. And the the Packers had it in droves. Those first two interceptions were tipped ball, lucky interceptions. And I'll be honest, it completely shifted everything we thought about the game. That goal line stand followed by that kick return. I was uh, sitting in the basement with my in-laws, my my fa- uh, my stepfather-in-law, I guess, because it's my wife's stepdad and her brother, both said, oh, this game's over. And you could kind of feel deflated. And it just, it felt different. It felt like everything positive about the Vikings in that game. That pump block, tremendous. It was awesome. But unfortunately, it wasn't sustainable because the Packers were able to take advantage with their own kind of fluky play. Um, And they got in such a hole, they couldn't dig themselves out. Justin Jefferson, another point, Jefferson needs to figure out how to calm down. He got way in over his head. He got way too emotional. He could have been ejected. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets fined because, albeit not intentional, he did hit an official with his helmet. Now, you could tell the second he realized an official was there because he didn't see him. He stopped and re- and diverted. That's why they didn't call a penalty. That's why right. they didn't do anything on the field. But just because they don't do anything on the field does not mean that they're not going to do anything on the back end because he touched an official. 
And Freddie brings up a good point. Jair is interfering too. Jair mugged the living crap out of Justin Jefferson. But I will give the refs credit. They didn't call crap as far no, as passing interference. They side. let these boys play. And you know what? As annoying as it was, there were a couple times where Duke Shelley should have been called and he wasn't. Okay, I can live with that. Does it suck? Oh, of course. It absolutely sucks. But they were fair. And I it's I can't bury the officials for calling it the same. I just wish that they was consistent no matter the crew, no matter the game, no matter the situation. And that you can be frustrated with. Because if this was Jerome Boger's crew, guess what? You're getting like six of those babies. Like uh Sean yeah, it's and yellow. Boom. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's and yellow. It's yeah. So all right, Odie, you're you're starting to get on my nerves now, here, puppy. The biggest flaw I saw was Contributed to all of that. And it was the mental, there's Jody the good boy. It was the mental part of it. Where it be Say Jair Alexander getting into <laughs> getting into uh uh JJ's head and which he did. And it's not that Jair played, you know, super great, but he was constantly poking at him, both physically and yapping at him mentally. Mm-hmm. And spin, pressing his buttons, right? And spinning him up, which caused problems. But the whole team was getting that sort of mental mm-hmm. spin up. They were the Packers, and this happens when you know each other. The, the, you know how to push each other's buttons and get each other going. And the Packers were doing that, and the Vikings didn't have an answer. When Zim was here, we had the answer because Zim would mess with Aaron Rodgers' mind, right, on some of the defenses he would do, having Harry come up, having different people come up, the not knowing where blitzes were coming from, different things he'd mess with his mind. The key to beating the Packers, if you can pressure Aaron Rodgers, you win, period. That's the way it works. That's also the same basic way it works with the Vikings. If you can pressure Kirk Cousins and throw his timing off, make him throw quicker, you can win. Now, they did it this way by taking out Justin Jefferson, getting him going. None of the other guys could get going. There was too many slips because we were in the wrong cleats. And then mm-hmm. you had offensive linemen start to get hurt. That changes things. Kirk has to adjust his play. It wasn't. And it all t- comes down to mental. And we thought this year, hey, they're developing mental toughness because of all the you know, come from behind games, all the different situations. Well, they hadn't, I don't think they'd face that where you have that close family member, the one that can irritate you, press all your buttons. And they've got to get used to that and got to be able to zone that out and focus on my job is to, if it's JJ and I've got a receiver here or a defender, Jair Alexander, I know he's going to try to, punch me in the chest as soon as the snap of the ball. I need to now counter that so he can't and then run my route and get open and get the ball. If it's the lineman blocking, right, it's got to be, all right, I'm new, I'm Ole Udo. I'm in here new. I'm Chris Reed. I'm in here new. I've got to be able to sit down and, my, and go through, literally, my first thing is get the snap count right. All right, if the snap count is this, snap, right? Um, It's to hit the blocks. It's to take the blocks. 
Bourne said earlier that uh, Christian Derrissaw has given up more sacks and hits coming back from his concussion than he did before. That is correct. He has. There's still something that seems a little bit off, but part of that is also how they're playing and who they're playing to get it. Hopefully, he uh, that gets better over the offseason because there's not going to be time for it to get any better now. But it's all part of you've got to zone out what's going around you, get that, as KOC says, the calm mind and the good thoughts. And KOC got spun up on Sunday, too. He wasn't exhibiting the calm mind and the correct decisions, right, that he's preached. And it takes practice to do that. But that, to me, was the biggest deal. It's somebody that you know, that you're comfortable with, that knows your buttons, and they pushed them. And Green Bay pushed the shit out of it on Sunday. And they didn't adjust. They didn't recognize that's what was happening. If they would have recognized it, settled down a bit, gotten into some things that work, just simple stuff, I think it would have gotten a lot, lot better. Uh, Freddie asked, do we think we can find a competent tackle to replace Brian O'Neill? And uh, Coach That's said, a great question. The calf injury is significant, and he's already ruled out. We still do not know the extent of this said calf injury. I've got all sorts of nightmares in my heads over it, but I think Oliudo is your guy. That's it. Dave, there's still a part of me that thinks that it's not a calf injury and it's an Achilles. And the reason being, when be. a lot of times they deem Achilles injuries, calf injuries initially, because they're so incredibly close as far as the body part. And what kind of pain you feel and where you're feeling the pain. Well, I was thinking my immediate reaction was high ankle sprain because that is where the tendons going up the ankle attach to your calf muscles. It's where they attach your calf muscles that you get the tears in those and they take three to six weeks to heal minimum. And that was my initial. And when we saw the clip of it, it was open field. He was changing direction and then came up hopping and then went down. It was, it was non-contact. It was the turf. But I I think he's done. We don't know that for sure. Just like we don't know Blake Brandell is still on IR. We don't know if he's coming back. But that leaves Oliudo. You're not going to bring anybody in from the outside that's going to come in and instantly start. They won't know the playbook. Yeah, um, the one guy I would consider bringing in, and I wrote about this for the Vikings, I identified eight tackles that they might try to bring in. Um, Seven of them were free agents, one from a practice squad. One of those guys is definitively retired, and a couple others uh, did not play, and they've kind of, it's almost like a quasi retirement. But at, at a certain point, if you have a chance to go on a playoff run and you're in shape, you can make a phone call just like the Rams did to Eric Weddle last year. Be like, hey, we're depleted. Come play for us and come help us win a ring. Goes, plays like five games. Hey, guess what? He wins a Super Bowl. So these, at the end of the day, these guys are athletes. They're competitors. And when you're an athlete and competitor, it never really leaves you. And there's always something in you that wants to keep going and wants to go again. 
And it's worth making a phone call because you know what? If you call Nate Solder and be like, no, I'm good. Okay, you made the call. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Doesn't cost you, you anything. The one, the one guy I think they should look at signing, Dave, is an old friend, Rashad Hill. He, mm-hmm. under, he understands the, the basics of what this offense is. He played in something very similar with the Kubiak system. Now, there are differences, but as far as an offensive lineman, what blocks you're asked to make, I think he can catch on relatively quickly. Um, you have to have a veteran on either side of Ed Ingram. I think Chris Reed, I was talking with Luke Braun of Lockdown Vikings earlier today. By the way, when you're done with this, go listen to his show. A-plus stuff. Um, it's on my few rotating podcasts because now that I work from home, I don't really listen to podcasts it's anymore. The, it's the first um, Vikings podcast of the day. The kid Yes, it is. Cheated off of in math class, Luke Braun. Friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of yours. Luke does some Except great he's breakdowns. probably cheated he probably cheated off me in math class because I was I was pretty damn smart until I got to uh, oh, calculus he, and then I lost it. Luke's <laughs> pretty damn smart on that. So Luke's brilliant. Um but let, let's kind of continue on this theme because I think it's important. Um there's a name I, I heard agreed. today. I don't think Chris Reed's gonna be a disaster at center. As far as a blocker, he's he's good. He's fine, mm-hmm. he's capable. He's not a natural center, and you saw that with the mistakes, snapping the football, the mistakes with snap counts, the inconsistency, the lack of cohesion with the offensive line. That was all due to the fact that Chris Reed barely played this year, and he's never played center before this year. Those are are things that you're aware of. Yeah, um, I think that Reed will be fine. I'm not super worried about it. If they get Bradbury back, that's ideal. It's amazing that the lack of Bradbury is actually hurting the offensive line, which I don't think we would have said prior to this season. Um, Yes, that's a big yawn, Odie. Good boy. Um, But (laughs) I think Chris Reed will be fine. If it's the tackle position I'm concerned about, Udo just isn't it. I think he's better on the right side than the left side, and he's shown that in droves, but you can't trust him. Um, You're going to have to give that side help. Ingram's got getting better, but he needs that veteran presence so he he can feel more comfortable. He did four pressures allowed. Chris Reed only allowed one. There's hope. Um, mm-hmm. I I kind of cut you off in my diatribe there, Dave. What name did you hear about the Vikings potentially going to get? The future Hall of Fame Rams left tackle that retired last year. Whitworth? Mm-hmm. Who threw that out there? Oh, I don't know if it was on Score North, whatever they said. It's worth a telephone call. Oh, it's 100% worth a telephone call. But he played for O'Connell, see if he was willing to come in and, you know, win oh, a Super Bowl ring. I forgot the O'Connell reference. Um, hmm. I'm going to have to text text Judd. For, um, I'm going to do that right now because I, I need, I'm going to need the clip of that. I, uh, I'm uh, pretty sure it's on their show today. But it's – and he may say no. He may be, no, I'm having too much fun with my kids. I'm old. I'm 41. Yeah, I play great, but no. But we'll see. And but they're right now they're going to ride with who they have because there's nobody yet coming in. Now, KOC said they're going to look at bringing in a couple of linemen this week. So Purple Haze, I agree with you. I would love to have a presser with the O-line coach. I'd love to sit down and interview him. 
I'd buy him whatever beer, whiskey, or whatever he wants so I could interview him because I, I could I would love just mm-hmm. to talk for hours. That sort of stuff. Andrew Whitworth. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, Freddie, that's his name. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Hey, we we just gotta give a hats off Davey, to Davey. He hates right. in my lap. But he is being a very good boy for dad because the he wife uh, just started at a new location today and she's uh she's liking it, but makes it hard to watch the pup. Uh, so like, I gotta do it. And he's he's just not quite there yet. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna think about the uh Whitworth thing tonight because I think that's that's a very interesting idea. And I never thought about the link between him and O'Connell. I thought that it would be more likely that he, that he goes over to um the Bengals, plays left tackle for them. They slide Jonah Williams over to the right side, and then he plays for the, the team that drafted him. Um, I think that could be a really interesting option too. But I, I, I don't think his. He even said it on one of the Amazon post game shows. You have to convince my wife. You don't have to convince me. His wife <laughs> is done with it. And as we saw with Tom Brady, could be. when the wife, when the wife is done with it. You, you you should listen to the wife, and if my wife ends up listening to this, yeah, I I, I get it. All right, I get it. Um, so let's kind of move forward, Dave, because there's a couple things we need to get to. The Bears game it is officially a noon kickoff. There was talk that it was going to be a three twenty five kick. Okay, sweet boy, go nope. over there. Um, it's going to be a noon kick, and I thought that was interesting because. The Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Niners are all playing at 325. The Vikings have a say in this thing, even though they can't win the number one seed. They can win they're the playing number at noon. two, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Even and though now they're number I thought three. That was, I thought that was interesting, but um, instead they want to have it less balanced because last few years it's been like seven games, eight games, and then your prime time. They have two Saturday slots, so they're only doing five mid-afternoon games. So it's going to feel like a relatively normal slate. Um, the Vikings, I don't think you're going to be playing a lot of starters. They're going to have to play some. I think some of which is going to be the offensive line. Odie, enough. He's going to bark at things. So we're in for a fun time. Um, I think you, you, you're you going to have to play offensive line. Um, you, I don't think you can play Justin Jefferson. I know Megatron's record's in reach. That turf is atrocious. And it would be devastating to this team and the fan base to have an injured Justin Jefferson. He's in a campaign to play because he's a player. But I don't think you should let him play. I think you should just kind of – you should get reps for Rager. You should get reps for Naylor and get them some time. And, uh, look, Naylor, we cannot overreact to yesterday. It was garbage time. His touchdown was a blown coverage. But you have to like what you see. It's a net positive. I think that's objectively great, but you can't overreact. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Warren, I agree with you. You will see him active this week because of that. Uh, also, you talked about the O-line playing. I was talking with partner on my show, two old bloggers, uh, earlier today. I said the O-line needs to work on their chemistry. That is part where it be with Chris Reed in the middle and Odie on the end, on the right end. They need to work on that because that was an obvious way off when those guys. Hey, came you in. know what? I'm with you, Dave. I think Odie would make a great right tackle, um, but Oli. I think we should put in Udo. <laughs> Oli Udo. 
Oh, there's my sweet boy. Put He's KJ in the number big. one spot, says Brian. Maybe for this weekend, it may be a good idea. Yeah. And yes, JJ's going to be sad that he doesn't have the chance to break the record. But JJ said last week, the record doesn't mean anything. The Super Bowl does. Yeah. So, go win the Super Bowl. Now, I don't remember who said it. Uh, I heard it today on, they didn't say it. They were reporting it that, uh, whether it's PFF or it was DVOA, um, the boy, the guy that runs DVOA said, you know, it's basically all or nothing. The Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl or they're going to get blown out by 40 points. You know, it's that type yeah. of team. And go win the Super Bowl. That's what we want. Go win the Super Bowl. Get on a run. There's, you know, I sat there today and this this last game had me all sorts of wound up and muddling, you know, the meaning of life and what is it with this team, yada, yada type stuff. And I came down to, well, you know, it felt like this whole competitive rebuild and bring back the old guys like the Wilfs wanted and everybody else and try to make this work because the players are good and it's just the coaches that were at issue. Get new coaches, they're going to make them good. And we are 12-4. and four. Because of that, there's been a lot of good things that have rolled our way. Sunday was not one of them, but there's been a lot of good things. Well, to me, it felt like we had an opportunity. We had a playoff window. The window was open, and yesterday it slammed shut. But I have an optimistic side of me that says, first off, this team, when it rolls, it rolls. They have yet to play a complete game. If they play a complete game, they can beat anybody in this league anybody they oh, beat yeah. buffalo they can beat dallas they can beat the eagles they can beat anybody they face even san francisco right they can win if they get everything going there's still so much talent especially on the offensive side that can do that all they've got to do is get that together overcome what we saw on the mental side, which I thought I saw on the mental side yesterday, learn to, as KOC says, calm the mind. Back in the day when I was dealing with emergencies, it was to stay calm, focus, do the uh, the calm pilot bit, the Chuck Yeager. Uh, yes, I'm going through 100,000 feet. My left wing just fell off. I'm in a flat spin. I'm working this, and he stayed calm. You can think calmer. When you're that way, you think more clearly, and you can react better. If they can do that going through the playoffs, I'm not going to, I'm not asking for it against Chicago. I, Chicago, I don't really care. There's scenarios where, yeah, we can win the number two seed. I think Chicago's going to lay over and play dead anyways because they want the draft pick. They're already talking about not playing fields. Um, but if they can play, as Mary says, four quarters of solid football in the playoffs, they can get on a run. We've seen teams do it. We've seen the Giants do it. We've seen you know other quarterbacks that weren't so good do it, and it was because everybody got on that run playing all four quarters at that time. If they can peak... Mm-hmm. Here 
in the end of January and through February, we've got a chance. And if not, we move on to next year. Yeah. It's been fun. We won 12 games, folks, and it's been exciting. We haven't done that since 2017. That's Purple Haze. Execute, execute, execute. Mm-hmm. And if they fail, speaking of executing, be right for them. Speaking of executing, Dave, we're going to kind of move away from the discussion of the Chicago Bears because I'll be honest, I really don't think there's a whole lot to preview um, because we really don't know who's playing. We don't even know uh, Fields is going to play. I know Clifford just said that he uh, read that Fields is playing. That was true. And then uh, earlier today, Matt Eberflus uh, kind of um, middled it mm-hmm. um, and said, hey, we're I'm going to talk to Ryan Poles. We're going to decide who's going to play. So they may not even want to play Fields because I'll be honest, I'm not convinced they think he's the guy, which I think they need to give him one more year because he has an atrocious cast of characters around him. It's very, very, very bad. Uh, but the Vikings are one-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Soldier Field against the uh, 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 Bears team. It moved to four today. It, it went from to one four. to four. I just checked. I checked via PFF. It moved from one to four today. And I think okay. that's because cool. Fields most likely will not play. All right. Well, that's PFF. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at the sports book right now, um, because or I don't know if PFF's money coming in. Because it's three point. It's minus three point five on DraftKings. Um, that's that is significant movement. The over under dropped a full point, which uh, considering the opening odds, that's that's fine. Um, but the, enough about the, the terrible Bears, Dave, because we have something that we need to talk about. Um, we mm-hmm. have a lot of new listeners out here, and we're very grateful that you've decided to join us on this Vikings journey. We have a lot of uh, older listeners who have been with us a long time who know what's coming. You know what that is, Dave? That is Mock Draft Mondays. And the best part about Mock Draft Mondays, it's all draft, baby. And that mm-hmm. is something that I um I'm an expert in. I have um, been doing this for a little while, and I have already uh, full uh, done full scouting reports on 12 different wide receivers, um, one of which is being released here shortly after the show because I just have to finalize it. Um, look, we're going to attack the Vikings from a team-building perspective. We are going to attack it from, hey, what are they doing? What should they be doing? Why are they doing it? Why should they be doing it? We're going to look at it from an objective perspective, and you're going to hear a lot of my influence on here because I'm going to tell you what I believe they should be doing, along with what they are doing and why they're doing it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a ton of fun. Bring on guests throughout the draft uh, community. We do a mock draft every single episode. We're going to talk in-depth on players. I'm going to have clips ready for Dave so we can show them on the broadcast to show you little nuanced things. That make a difference. Remind me, Dave. I'm. Oh, wait. There's. We have our own folder. Never mind. I was going to set up a Google Drive folder, but we have one. Um, <laughs> look, there are things that we are going to talk about. That I'll be honest. Um, when I first started listening to shows like this, they went over my head. It may go over your head a little bit. That's okay. You're going to learn things. So we're going to have fun, and I'm. I'm going to make sure that you come out of it 
feeling like you know more going into draft day because honestly that's what it's all about we want to understand what the vikings are going to be doing um raymond already getting in with the draft questions i love it do they draft a qb in the later rounds like that qb from tcu i love max duggan i don't know what his pro potential is i think he's he's at best as far as draft position is jalen hurts about like pick 50 like you're talking like mid-second round guy uh his floor is probably like five round six we know everything changes uh, after the Senior Bowl and then after the Combine. But what Mock Draft Mondays helps us with is you bringing your talent evaluation to it. But it helps us as fans learn these players. Learn who mm-hmm. the Vikings may go for. Learn who we may like, not like, who may be a best fit and who may not be a best fit as we get closer yeah. to the draft. Now, we'll do that after the season, after the Vikings are done, eliminated. We'll start doing that. And then also in the meantime, we'll have what happens when free agency hits, because that hits before the draft, all that tracking. But every Monday after that, you know, after we're eliminated, we're going to be looking at the draft because that is Tyler's expertise. It's not just talking to Vikings. It's talking scouting and who's coming up and can play in the NFL. And that's why we do it. <laughs> all right. All right, Purple Haze. I deserve that. Look, I, I banged the drum uh, for Malik Willis. I will still bang the drum for Malik Willis. Mike Vrabel actively hates him. You can kind of see how they run the offense. Um, you, you can just tell that that was not a Mike Vrabel-approved pick. That was John Robinson. John Robinson's gone. There's that's I think that's why they're not starting Willis. He sh- probably shouldn't have been starting uh, day one anyways. Um, I know I had talked about, oh, his running can kind of compensate for it. Well, it co- it's compensating less than I expected. Um, so it, it just kind of is what it is. Um, who will win? Tyler's dogs. Hey, I don't know. I don't know if you see this. Um, Freddie, look up there. You see that? I'm going to get out of the way. That's the swamp. Dogs don't live there. Gators do. So I will be cheering for I love a good underdog story, and I think I would have loved to have seen a TCU Ohio State national championship because I think it's good for the sport to see team to see like underdog kind of teams make runs. And that's what TCU is. They were five and seven last year. They were atrocious, and now all of a sudden they're trying to prove that stars don't matter in recruiting, which they absolutely matter. But at a certain point, you know, <laughs> if you have enough, they don't. Uh, Joseph, I would love Anthony Richardson, but we're not going to talk top end quarterbacks really. Unless we get a signal, one, from the team that they're going to do that, or two, they move on from Kirk Cousins. Um, Freddie, I absolutely think TCU can cover. It's only 13 and a half points. That's a lot. Um, and especially with how Ohio State took it to them and how TCU played against Michigan, who on a neutral field, Michigan and Georgia would be a very close contest. I think TCU can hang with Georgia, and I think it's going to be a very fun matchup. But we're going to talk a lot about draft stuff, and it's going to be – I'm going to be doing very Vikings focused. I'm starting with receivers. Then we're going to go look at running backs, cornerbacks, edge rushers, defensive linemen. We're going to look at the most important positions as far as need for the Vikings first. And then we're going to get to the rest because this is going to be Vikings focused draft coverage and something that I'll be very proud of when it's all done. And I can't guarantee, unfortunately, that I will be on the live draft show the whole time like I have been the past couple <laughs> years because my priorities have changed. They with will the be, unless of my Vikings wire duties. 
Oh, I will be on plenty with you, Dave. You don't have to worry about that. But it's going to be a very interesting, interesting draft process. Um, Odie, you, can you stop biting me, please? Thank you. Um, but look, it's going to be fun. Let's give people what to expect. Absolutely, Dave. Um, we are going to be doing, um, it, I, if you followed my work at all, you know that I do the Skull Search series. And what Skull Search is, is it's just finding players for the Vikings, as the name says. So we're I'm going to be, um, oh, Freddie, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that means a lot. doing it longer um, than Matthew Collar stealing it. Oh, yes. You're damn right. It's about time somebody said it because I don't I don't want to start a war on Twitter that I proof. will undoubtedly lose. But Skull Search, I've been utilizing it longer than Matthew Collar. You can tell him that. I don't care. I'm just not getting in the middle of it. That is mine. Um, I Jason was kind enough to let me take it to Vikings Wire um, be, doing because of the fact that I started it. But Jason is the man, and I want to make sure I treat him with respect, which – well, I mean, he's the man, and and he owns a gym. He'll kick my ass. So, um, but, but we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about my articles. I will be answering a lot of questions, and we'll be going in de- more in depth with prospects than we were able to last year because I have numerous and copious amounts more time to watch these guys. And we're going to talk about what Quasi Adolfo Mensa prioritized in the draft last year. We're going to talk about how we can expect that to continue this year because he used the scouting staff of Rick Spielman because he got hired in January. Well, now that he has his guys, how is that process going to change? Is he going to prioritize the same things? How is age going to factor in because some of these guys are older due to COVID and that having that extra year? It's We're still in kind of a weird flux period because of that. It's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out, but we're going to be here for you every single step of the way with a new mock draft, with analysis, with opinions, and you'll be able to ask me any questions that you have, and I will try to answer it. And if I can't answer it, I will find out the answer by watching the film. Because you know what? I love analytics. Analytics are a phenomenal tool, but if you don't pair it with film watching, you're doing yourself a disservice, which is what I am here for. So and vice versa. We are going to... Yep, we're going to be starting that the first Monday after the Viking season is over. The first half of the show will be dedicated to the game that the last game that the Vikings played. The second half will be the first official mock draft Monday. We'll still be calling it the Real Forno Show, but it's going to be mock draft Monday every single week. And we are, Dave and I have talked about, we're going to keep this at six o'clock because we believe consistency is key. I've noticed that we're seeing a lot more of the same people every week when we do it at six o'clock. And I want to make sure that I'm here for you guys as much as possible. Six o'clock will be the home. We are going to have a lot of fun this year, Dave. It is going to be a tremendous, tremendous time. Mock Draft Mondays are some of our most viewed and listened to shows of the year. And we want to keep that going because that, that tells us that we're doing something that you guys really enjoy. And to me, that means more than anything. And for a reminder that we're here with us last year, here's a flashback of what happens. Welcome to Climbing the Pockets Mock Draft Mondays. Who will the Vikings pick 
And who's your favorite choice? And that, and that brings us here to the mock draft screen where we'll have mock drafts driven by the Draft Network that we will run for you live. It'll be mm-hmm. Tyler giving his. He'll be running. I'll be running the mechanics of it behind the screen. Mm-hmm. He'll be running the draft to who to pick, asking opinions. We have room for extra people that we can put on there, and we can go through how what players are available at when because that's that's important. You know, hey, yes, the quarterback from Alabama may be the first one to go off the board because the Houston Texans need the quarterback. Yes, I agree. But will the Vikings be in play for that quarterback? Most likely not. But we'll be sitting there at the picks 20-something or whatever, hopefully 32, going, all right, who's available at this area? And we'll select from that and learn from – Who's available at that guy? And we'll look at ranges. And if, what happens if we trade up or if we trade back? All that comes in in Tyler's wisdom and, in particular, his what he scouted. And then the friends we bring along from Blue Chip Scouting and some of the other scouting folks that weigh in as to how we go. And that's how this system works. And it works fabulous. Mm-hmm. Right, Tyler? Yes, it does. Yes, it does, Dave. Um, why don't you point out what is up here? I think um, how this is segmented off is the farthest to the left is the biggest needs, and then in the middle is is um, secondary needs. Or hold on, how is this segmented? It is because I see multiple to top primary, secondary, and ancillary, and then don't need on the right. Ancillary? What does ancillary mean, Dave? Third, tertiary. The would be nice, but it's let's get rid of the the first and secondary needs first. Okay, so let's look at the Vikings again because this is where I get confused. First, uh, primary needs, quarterback, interior offensive lineman. Oh, no, I was looking at a different one. Nope, that's right. No, that's it. QB and interior offensive line. Look, and we're going to have this conversation. We're going to dedicate an entire episode to Kirk Cousins postseason because it's going to be another conversation. Kirk Cousins played great this year. Uh I don't care what the stats say. Kirk is playing better than he ever has in a Minnesota Vikings uniform. You can look at the passing yards. You can look at the passing touchdowns, completion percentage. It's Kirk is doing exactly what we asked him to do for years, trying to drive the ball down the field and find guys outside of those little shallow reads. It's been great. It's but maybe they're seeing that, hey, Kirk's getting that age where normal quarterbacks fall off the cliff. Not everybody's Tom Brady. The normal average age for a quarterback to retire, I think when I looked it up, was like 36 for good quarterbacks. It's before that for bad ones. So, and he's coming up. He's going to be 35 next season. So maybe they're thinking of a replacement to, you know, sit behind him for a year which we know helps the guys. I have no idea. These are the guys from the draft network that have put this together. Yeah. It's it's going to be very fascinating. 
to have these conversations. I think running back is going to be a much higher need because I'm going to tell you, I don't think Dalvin Cook's on this team next year. And Alexander Madison definitely won't be on this team next year because he's a free agent and they're not going to be able to afford to pay him. But in the meantime, we thank you very much for coming on and joining us here this evening. Um, This is what you're going to be expecting from us after the season. And because mock drafts have already started, you will see my first mock draft roundup next Monday where I'm going to tally from January 1st all the way until draft day, all of the must-know mock drafts. And we are going to have those conversations. And last year, I got 176 mock drafts, but I started in February. This year is going to have a lot more because I'm starting January 1st. It's going to be one from the mock or the draft network each week. It's going to be multiple from Pro Football Network, CBS, ESPN, NFL.com, Yahoo. You're going to see a lot of mock drafts. It's going to be worth your time. And I'm going to be doing plenty of them myself outside of the show for the Vikings Wire. Dave, before we get going, because I've talked a lot tonight, what do we have for the great people on the network to kick off 2023 this week? Matt Anderson finally makes it out of his hole. I don't know what he's been up to the last few weeks, but he is going to be back with Vikings Happy Hour on Wednesday. Thursday, you have the great Flip Mozzie, who was quite opinionated yesterday on the final score. He will be back with Eric Thompson asking pertinent questions about your Minnesota Vikings on Viking Hot Takes. Saturday at our normal time, 4 o'clock. Central, you get myself and Darren Campbell, your two old bloggers. We'll be breaking down the Chicago Bears game and what to expect and a couple other themes that I'm sure Darren's going to come up with. Probably a little bit effective for last week and some of the things we may have talked about, but more in depth, maybe with some numbers thrown behind. And we'll see what happens. And then, of course, on Sunday at... Roughly 3 o'clock, we'll go live in the final two minutes with the final score. Waiting to see if the Vikings win. Then we'll go into the next game, or the 3 o'clock, 325 games, and see maybe maybe San Francisco loses. We'll get that two seed back. If not, we've secured the three seed. Yeah, it's... The next few weeks for this, uh, this Vikings team are going to be very interesting. We're kind of playing with house money at this point, something that a uh, friend of the show, Ted Glover, has talked about. And he's, he's kind of right, because if you would have told us preseason that, hey, 12-4 and four going into week 18. 12-5, we'd gone, yeah, woo! Like, yeah, um, I predicted 9-8 and eight and 7 seed, or barely missed the playoffs. So I'm fine being wrong. That's okay. They reached their 100th percentile outcome. That's it's kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And look, this is a good team that is going to have issues when they're put in adversity. And we've already seen that. How are they going to deal with it when, when things happen in the playoffs? It's going to be a fascinating one. Until then, when we do our first playoff preview of the Real Forno Show next week, Have yourself a great start to 2023. Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best 
Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.